Good morning, friends. Today's message, Finding Joy in Hard Times. My text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. It was Charlie Brown in a Peanuts cartoon that once said, it always looks darkest just before it gets totally black. Well, in other words, things do not always go as planned. The truth is no one sails through life without storms. I mean, trouble is something we all have to deal with. As a pastor, I was often tempted to put a sign outside my office that said, if you have troubles, come and tell me about them. If you don't, come in and tell me how you do it. <clears throat> well, listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Or if you prefer from the New Living Translation, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. I imagine you notice the phrase, you have to endure many trials. Now, what kind of hardship was Peter talking about? Well, first of all, he was writing to believers who were going through some extremely hard times. And those hard times were caused in large part because they were Christ followers. Peter's writing from Rome, probably only a few months before the emperor Nero burned Rome to the ground and blamed the Christians for doing it. Paul was martyred during the aftermath of Rome's burning. Followers of Jesus already were beginning to be singled out for persecution. Persecution was not universal, and it was not that every Christian got thrown to the lions, but some were, and at increasing frequency. Such were the times at which Peter was writing. But it really does not matter what kind of trials make life tough. I mean, no matter where our tough times come from, Peter's message offers insights to all who are facing hard times. I mean, what do you do when you're faced with cancer or with COVID-19? How do you respond when your spouse walks out on you? How do you handle the reversal of nature or, or you go through the excruciating pain of losing a child? I mean, how do you deal with a habit that's messing up your life, but you can't grip its grip on your life? And so when Peter begins his letter, he does not express how sorry he is that life can be so hard for them. Instead, he gives praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Now, I want you to notice how Peter talks about being truly glad and about wonderful joy in the midst of serious hardship. And so the question that I want to answer today is what reasons does Peter give to back up such gladness and joy? If we're lighting that joy candle today, if you attend an Advent celebrating church, and maybe this will help you think about it. But why can Christ followers still find reason for joy? Well, when we've been living through a pandemic in the years 2020. Well, from First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, I want us to notice five insights for joy beyond tough times. The first insight to capture joy in tough times is that God reminds uh, all of us that we're only passing through. Now, Peter writes to encourage you and me, and his encouragement is based on this premise, friends, we are only passing through. This world is not our home, and maybe some of you are familiar with that song, I'm but a stranger here, heaven is my home. Go back and look at verse 1, to God's chosen people who are temporary residents in the world. See, friends, when the heat is on, we need to have a long view of life. 
And this life as we know it is not going to last forever. We in this world are going to pass away. And there's going to come a time when you and I as followers of Jesus will be coming home because we are not home yet. I hope you're glad about that. Hebrews 11 verse 16 in the New American Standard Bible says what kind of home it is. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, friends, one day you and I will be fully alive in a heavenly homeland in that heavenly city. You see, it's really great to be a Christian on this side of eternity. It's great to be a Christian now because you know that you have been forgiven. You don't have to live with regrets and you know that your life is significant. God has given your life meaning and purpose and it is great to be a Christ follower because God is with you and he has adopted you and he loves you. But, and there seems to be always a but, the final homecoming outweighs the earthly benefit. 1 Corinthians 15:19 says in the in the message uh, translation, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. You see, Jesus was not merely a good teacher who provided us with some inspiration on how to live life. He came to give you everlasting life. He came to bring us home. And when life gets tough, you and I need to remember that no matter how hard the slugging is today, we're only passing through. Well, the second insight to capture joy in tough times is that God reassures us with a living hope. Now, would you agree with me that on this side of eternity, we all need massive doses of hope? Well, Peter says in verse 3, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, God wants your life to be immersed in hope. And I hope you notice that word living. Christian hope is living hope. But what's the opposite of a living hope? Well, the opposite of a living hope is a, well, how about a false hope? I mean, is there false hope people cling to? Well, friends, false hope is everywhere. Every time somebody buys a lottery ticket, for example, there's a false hope that they'll win. And even when they do win, they cling to the false hope that this will be the answer to all of their unhappiness. But every time we say, I hope to see you, or when we make plans, we say, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow or next week. We're not really sure whether our plans will succeed because we do not control everything. Even our most hopeful plans are tentative. But the living hope that you have because you are a Christ follower is based not on wishful plans. The hope Peter speaks of is anchored in an event in history. Your hope, my hope, is based on Jesus' resurrection. That's why Peter calls it a living hope. And since no one can undo history, no one can steal our joy. Our hope and our joy are anchored in Jesus' resurrection. This is why one of the symbols of the Christian faith is the anchor. Here's the third insight to capture joy in tough times. God redeems us for incorruptible glory. Not long ago, I I read in Forbes uh, magazine that over $30 trillion is going to be transferred from this generation to the next. (laughs) Wow, I wish I was younger. Well, this younger generation will inherit more than any other generation before. And maybe a trillion dollars is not worth what it used to be, but it's still a lot of money. But friends, it's only cash and it's only stuff. It's going to be taxed. It's going to be spent, a lot of it, on lawyers and accountants. Some of it is going to be fought over. Some of it's going to divide families. Much of it's going to be squandered. 
And even if the inheritance is invested in the world's most secure investments, these investments in the end will not last. There's no guarantee that today's fortune will still be there tomorrow. And we know that well from the economic ups and downs that we've experienced in our lifetimes. The things that are bought will rust through or wear out or burn out or waste away or be stolen or neglected or spoiled or get out of fashion or just simply cast aside. Such is the nature of our perishable temporary world. But I want you to look back at verse 4. It says, God has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So, friends, your inheritance in Christ is glory. And that's a glory that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that your inheritance in the city whose maker and builder is God is incorruptible. And and Peter uses three descriptors of incorruptibility to make the point that what is in store for Christ's followers is absolutely secure. First, he says, my inheritance will not be damaged, can never perish. Your inheritance as a child of God will never be threatened by hurricanes or broken into. No foreign army will come and blow it away and take possession of it. No lawyer can sue it away. It is fully secure. Second, he says, our inheritance will not rot. Well, in your condo in heaven or what do we live in, there's no such thing as a condo problem where things rot from the inside out. It says that will never spoil. You'll never be surprised when you go into the attic that there are structural problems that are going to add years to your mortgage payments. In fact, you're never going to have a mortgage because it's all been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And no mortgage can ever be taken out on it. You will be debt-free because Jesus has paid the price in full. And third, he says, our inheritance will not wear out. It can never fade. Now, I don't know whether you remember from the Bible how in Exodus a very remarkable thing happened. Well, a lot of remarkable things in Exodus. But the shoes and the clothes of the Israelites never wore out during their 40 years in the wilderness. God knew that during their journey through the desert, people could not stop at a local mall to pick up a new pair of jeans or a dress. So he made it so that the clothes they wore and the sandals on their feet did not wear out. I mean, God so cared for his people that he even preserved their clothes for the journey. Now, as God preserved even the clothes and sandals of his people, so your eternal inheritance will never wear out, never fade, never rust, never grow dull, never lose its shine. And you might think, well, doesn't that kind of make heaven dull? You know, after a while, same old, same old. Well, I'm sure the Israelites were grateful that they did not have to buy new clothes, but it did not do much for fashion statements to wear the same clothes for 40 years. I mean, I can just imagine some guy saying, uh, honey, I think I'm going to get a new suit for the office. And the wife could have said, why buy a new suit when the old one is still good as new? But we forget that our heavenly inheritance is not like our earthly inheritance. On earth, you may inherit things. In heaven, you inherit the fullness of a love relationship. And a love relationship is never dull. I mean, have you ever discovered that? I mean, have you ever seen two people in love who are bored with each other? I mean, people in love are not bored with each other. In fact, they can't have enough of each other. I mean, think of the incorruptible, unspoiled inheritance as one long, enduring love relationship with God. You will know him like never before, and you will know yourself like never before, and you will not be afraid. Instead, you will be uninhibited in your love. It will be an everlasting spiritual honeymoon. 
Now, the fourth insight to capture joy in tough times is that God refines us for genuine faith. Look at the first part of verse 7. These trials are only to test your faith to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, and your faith is much more precious to God than gold. Now, again, note what Peter says. When trials come, it is an occasion for us to reflect on how we can trust God more in it and through it. God refines you. Why? So you can make a million dollars? No. So you can become famous and everybody admires you? No. God uses trouble in your life to build authentic faith, which God values more than your bank account. You know, it's, it's a general piece of human wisdom to realize that hardship either embitters you or helps you become a better person. Tough times make people either bitter or better. And boy, don't we see that in this year. See, friends, in most instances in life, what is most important in life is not what trials you face, but how you face them. So let me ask, will you become better or bitter? One of the most important lessons in life is to realize that God has given us the ability to choose how to respond in tough times. You see, we don't always follow God's will. But even when God's will be not done, we can respond according to God's will. That is why Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's will is often not done here. God says, even though this is not my original plan for this world, I want to use this trouble now to draw you closer to myself. You can still respond in a way that honors me and that honors my good, pleasing, and perfect will, and I will draw you to myself. I want to read the second part of verse 7 from the message. It says, when Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. You see, all of us leave behind our things when we die. There's no forwarding address in heaven at which you can leave your inheritance. You can rent a U-Haul one way uh, to Dallas, but you cannot rent one uh, one for one way to heaven. In fact, like they said, I've never seen a U-Haul trailer towed by a hearse. See, what you will take along is your relationship with God the Father. And that relationship is founded on faith. And God says during those tough times when you learn to trust me more, those events that were so difficult to endure, but to which you responded to by trusting me deeper will be put on display. Your instances of faith are going to be showcased. Friends, your faith will be displayed as your life's greatest trophy. I mean, think of other believers cheering you. They applaud and shout their approval when they see how you responded in hard times. And they give glory and thanks to God for the victory in your life. And it keeps getting better. And there's one more terrific insight. Here's the fifth insight. In order to capture joy in tough times, God replenishes us with inexpressible joy. Verse 8 says, even now you are happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Now, I hope you noticed those two words, even now. That means today, December the 13th, 2020. This day, this date, on this moment in your life, even now, you are happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy. God wants to remind you that joy is not something that is reserved for heaven. Joy is something that is reserved for today for all who have been born again into a living hope. 
Now, remember, Peter was writing to those people who were being persecuted, whose jobs were on the line because they were believers, and some of whom would be arrested and martyred like Paul and later on Peter himself. And yet Peter tells them, even now you are happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Even now. So, friends, understand that Peter was not writing to spiritual giants. They were mature, there were mature and immature believers among them to whom he was writing. And God does not expect you to have reached the stratosphere of spiritual maturity before you can be joyful in hard times. All you need is Jesus to have inexpressible joy. And all you need to know is Jesus in your situation, and you can be happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy even now. Even now, capture the joy of belonging to your faithful Savior, Jesus. And I hope you notice the final verse, verse 6. So be truly glad, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. So you see, friends, God will always be with you. And he is bigger than your tough times. And remember, God always honors faith. So friends, this coming week will bring some good times and it will also bring some challenges. Here is what I want you to do. Choose joy. Even now. Even now. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.